Hey everyone, it's Josh here, and you're listening to Marketing Major, a podcast created to help students get a more local, modern, and exciting take on the marketing world. And our guest here today is Carrie Bazano, and she's a multi-award-winning public relations consultant with over 17 years of experience. And she's worked in over 90 top-end clients in both Canada and abroad. So that's quite the statement. And for our listeners, you should really check out Carrie's LinkedIn profile because it just shows you um, how impactful she has been in the marketing world, both abroad and in Alberta. And it's uh, really a pleasure to have Carrie on today. So Carrie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Joss. Uh, Great to be here. (laughs) Yeah, thank you for coming. And so some of our listeners probably don't know that Carrie actually has her own podcast. It's called the Business Code Podcast. And uh, for anyone out there that's interested in anything to do with business, and uh, I know we had an ethics portion of Biz 201 that was, uh, some students might have nightmares about it because it was was very dry and and super philosophical and just kind of going over the pure ethical principles. So I highly recommend this podcast if you are at all interested in business and especially the the management of culture and, and people because business, uh, I guess it's all about people. So yeah, it's a really awesome discussion that has really in-depth conversations about organizational health. And uh, the goal of the podcast is to bring humanity back to business. So yeah, I was just wondering, Carrie, if you could touch on what led you to start this podcast, especially after all your experience in the business world. Sure, I'm happy to, Josh. So as you were mentioning, the Business Code podcast, um, you can find us. We're on Facebook and Twitter uh, with the handles Talk, and also our website is businesscodetalk.com if you'd like to check out those episodes that Josh was referring to. But in terms of what led me uh, to start this podcast with my co-host Karina Crooks, uh, and she works as a consultant doing recruitment marketing. So, you know, as, as you mentioned in uh, that great introduction, uh, for me, I've worked. Um, I've worked for close to two decades now, and you know, I've started out as a staff person with the Alberta government, and then moved on to working as a consultant at full service agencies here in Edmonton, and also then branched out as an independent consultant. And you know, I've worked with clients across uh, the nonprofit sector, public sector, and also uh, private industry, both in Canada and the U.S. And um, this is also a four me a great opportunity to work with a lot of really interesting people, you know, uh, political figures, First Nations chiefs and councils, corporate CEOs, and senior public officials. And with that, I've I've really seen a lot. You know, I've I've been able to experience and see firsthand different kinds of leadership and leadership styles. And how that sort of plays out in uh, various kinds of organizations for good and for bad. So uh, Karina and I, um, we wanted to try and bring integrity back into the business world and sort of rethink the way organizations function from the perspective of healthier, respectful workplaces, better employee engagement, greater accountability, and above all, more ethical leadership, because I certainly believe we need that out there. And so with our podcast show, we seek to challenge how we view organizational health, and we dig deeper into issues uh, that impact employee engagement and, of course, leadership integrity, how organizations function, and uh, team performance as well. Yeah, that's awesome. I highly recommend that 
our listeners check out the podcast. And I, I brought Carrie in today because she has uh, such a knowledge on organizational health and culture. And uh, one of the stigmas around advertising is it's more like uh, like the madman era, which we're going to get into. And for people that think of marketing and advertising, I think the you know images of Don Draper and the madman era have been definitely been popularized largely thanks to Netflix and uh the show kind of depicts the madman era as this larger than life era where you know you solve you solve cases late at night while maybe having some whiskeys and then you wake up in the morning and have three martinis at breakfast and then you know you just you're constantly crafting these huge campaigns and it shows this era of like it's almost like a glorified era of creativity but in terms of agency culture i think it also shows like a lot of the downfalls of that era and I was wondering if you could kind of explain like what the, in terms of agency culture, what the Mad Men era was best known for. Sure. Well, I think when we watch shows like Mad Men, we're <clears throat> really keenly reminded of those stereotypes of the typical corporate shark, you know, really hyper aggressive go-getters who typically lack empathy, lack a conscience, <laughs> and are all about uh, being focused on the ends, justifying the means no matter what, and stepping on people to rise to the top. Um, but this also, you know, it reminds me of an article that I recently read in Ad Age, and it was entitled Advertising. Enfant Terrible by uh, Brian Breaker. And in that article, he profiles an interview with Havas co-chairman and chief creative officer Jason Peterson out of the United States. And, you know, they Jason Peterson talks about how you know, he's convinced the industry usually hires really talented, lazy, and negative assholes, <laughs> as he describes. Uh, but that for him, his hiring rules include only hiring nice people who are optimistic and ambitious and have a level of talent and curiosity around creativity. So I think that, you know, the hyper-aggressive Uber shark is still out there and it's out there still rather plentifully in the corporate world and of course in advertising, but I really see a shift. There's a shift in the culture, even if I can say, describe it as the zeitgeist, where I think newer generations, the millennial generation and delving down into Generation Z, they're not putting up with that anymore. Right. They're not putting up with that kind of corporate culture. They're more in tuned and inclined towards collaboration, cooperation, working together to get the job done and producing great products, producing great creative, great advertising, uh, rather than, you know, focusing on stabbing each other in the back. Yeah, that's a, that's a good way to put it. And uh, in addition to that, I also read an article that um, you kind of touched on it, like these these big authoritarian personalities that are depicted on Mad Men, and and in that article it states how it could almost be written up to modern day because those authoritarian figures are out there. But I was wondering, in terms of qualities of leadership, what do you see as the kind of like the shift in uh, in leadership styles from that uh, like the shark. Absolutely. Well, ironically, I, I just interviewed um, last week a former vice president of Volvo and also a Barbardier out of Montreal. And uh, this man, you know, he's got decades of senior leadership experience under his belt, and he ended up moving away from that and starting his own consulting company. 
where he provides leadership training and coaching in what he refers to as conscious leadership. And I think, you know, as I was mentioning before, there's definitely a cultural shift. You know, for instance, there used to be a time... um, Maybe not so long ago when, you know, sexual harassment wasn't considered as taboo as it is now. And it was seen as something that women just kind of had to to put up with, sort of put up and shut up uh, and to a large extent. But now, as Oprah says, time's up (laughs) on that. And also, I think it's time's up on abusive, authoritarian, dictatorial leadership styles. Yeah, no, that's a that's a really good way to put it. (laughs) And, you know, for instance, you know, we've seen time and again over, you know, the past number of decades, various types of scandals, whether it's PR, major PR bungles by companies, and also uh, high-level examples of uh, pretty deep-seated corruption in organizations uh, played out on the world stage. And I think people are really questioning leadership practices, uh, especially how they they ricochet back onto um, corporate reputation management and, and the fallout not only in terms of reputation, but also, again, to the bottom line, too, because it's a little bit of a double-sided coin. People tend to have that that stereotype in their mind that it's the extremely aggressive, uh, unethical type of person that ends up getting the job done and helps you see really positive bottom line results. But if you end up having somebody in your organization that's highly corrupt, whether it's a CEO or a VP, and they're doing things that are illegal or extremely unethical, and that ends up playing out publicly, that... You reap so much incredible damage to your company, whether, you know, it it involves law enforcement or even just to your reputation itself. And that that can last decades. Uh, I've seen examples and I think we've all seen that in the media where companies have taken such a blow that they haven't recovered from it. Yeah. Do you have examples of that as... Well, it's interesting. Uh, Another person that we ended up interviewing on the Business Code podcast is a fellow uh, out of London, England, and he's a financial crimes analyst with Linklaters, which is uh, one of the biggest and oldest law firms in the world. And he talked about, uh, you know, various examples, too, where, you know, he, he goes through cases that involve things like bribery, money laundering, and also terrorist financing. And, you know, he was talking about different examples. And, and you can uh, check out his episode. His name was Kyler Baker. And, you know, he referred to uh, some situations that, of course, involved uh, very, very high level and, and uh, global investment firms out of New York. City that were found to be doing uh, heavy heavy corruption, and also uh, countries at the country level, uh, different countries in Africa. He was talking about where there was high level corruption as well. Listeners will have to check out that episode <laughs> for sure. And so you talked about kind of the more overt ways that you know leadership can be a downfall when you have that kind of aggressive mindset. But I, I also read an article to an ad week that talked about how. Issues like sexism and and racism have kind of moved from more of an overt form to a a subtle form. And there's an interesting stat where in the annual communication arts advertising competition in 2014, which it's a really big kind of, I think it's an international uh, campaign, like competition, and only 11% of the creatives who won in 2014 were women. So I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on this more subtle 
form of sexism and even issues like it that and how that kind of impacts the organizational culture and, and the marketing world. Right. <clears throat> well, it's interesting um, when you mention that, uh, you know, in advertising, it tends to be male dominated. And I've come from a, a PR background, so that's my bailiwick, and that tends to be female dominated. <laughs> right. So, in a way, um, you know, people end up like sort of attracts like. And, um, you know, people tend to hire, well, some people out there tend to hire those who are a reflection of themselves. And we see that play out in uh, numerous ways, whether that's, you know, a male-dominated organization or a male-dominated sector that ends up, you know, hiring more men and, and they definitely help and nurture the young men up the ladder. Uh, but also, you know, see that play out even in terms of personality type too. Right. But, you know, I think we're seeing women make significant breakthroughs in the advertising world. Like, you know, for instance, Somebody that comes readily to mind is Arlene Dickinson of Venture Communications out of Calgary. Right, yeah, she's and on with Dragon's Den. <laughs> on Dragon's Den, yeah. uh, going toe-to-toe with that Kevin O'Leary. Oh, um, God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, and, and uh, another, uh, a few examples that I encourage your listeners to check out online, uh, Anne Handley out of the United States, as well as Dory Clark out of Duke University. And Dory Clark is a marketing professor out of Duke University who's really... Uh, taken the world by storm in terms of uh, a thought leader out there in the marketing world. So I think there's there's women that are making significant strides and they're they're doing it uh, in a really big way. Awesome, yeah, that's great to hear. So I wanted to shift the conversation from kind of like the overall advertising industry into kind of like the more agency specific topics. So I read some articles where, and even just kind of like the the common knowledge out there is that advertising is for people who are, you have to have a thick skin and you know, you have to be mentally tough and you, you can't, people talk about not being able to be sensitive and you gotta just kind of get through it. Yeah, I just, I guess I'm just wondering your thoughts on that. Sure, well, in terms of needing to be sort of thick skinned and mentally tough, I see that uh, playing out in in different ways. So, you know, in terms of mental toughness, for sure in the advertising world and in the PR communications world, you need to be mentally tough uh, insofar as being very resilient and being able to manage um, high stress and also, you know, rapidly shifting priorities, juggling multiple deadlines and things like that. And in terms of the thick skin, that can be helpful too. Um, going back to what I was mentioning earlier, there are still uh, the sharks out there. You still have to uh, be able to work with people in extremely uh, senior leadership positions, and, and some of those people can be pretty tough. And then also another thing uh, to keep in mind is having a thick skin in terms of working with clients. And you know, sometimes you get some pretty harsh feedback from folks. <laughs> you know, like not everybody is going to love you. Not everybody uh, is going to think that the work is brilliant and you have to be able to ride those waves adeptly and and sort of roll with the punches. Yeah, that's a good point because I guess a big belief at FK is that you have to be able to adapt to situations and that seems like a big big deal in the marketing world. Absolutely. And, you know, for instance, in terms of... Uh, FK, the company that I work at now as a communications director, the way we sort of handle and manage uh, that within our own culture is on a few fronts. 
So for instance, we have uh, a morning meeting every day, um, five days a week, and it's called the Scrum. And it happens at the beginning of the day, and it really provides a very nice uh, touch point for everybody. So all of the agency is involved, and it's an opportunity for us to give a, a quick report back to everyone else in terms of the work that we did the day before, what's currently on our plate uh, for work that day, and also identifying uh, where we might have risks in in getting the work done and meeting the deadlines. And so it provides a great opportunity as a company overall to be able to chip in and help each other out. So we can identify where there are folks that are, you know, facing some risks and they're maybe overwhelmed and they, they have overcapacity and they, they need some extra set of hands to get the work done. And so we have others that are able to then jump in and identify, yeah, I'm putting up my hand, I can help you out with whatever you need to do. And that helps foster not only a sense of greater collaboration and cooperation uh, within the organization, but also empathy. So that when you hear your fellow colleagues reporting on, you know, the big list of stuff that they worked on the day before and then the big list of stuff that's facing them that day, you get a real sense of what's happening behind the scenes. You know, so often when we're working and, you know, even when we're working in a company with team members, we often don't really know the little sort of nitty gritty things that they're doing to sort of get uh, the bigger milestone accomplished. And so with these scrum meetings, we're able to hear that and we're able to realize oh wow you know Bob or Jane or Mary they're on top of it they may not have produced what we need to produce yet but they're working on it behind the scenes and so I think that's really helped our culture overall too and then we also have another thing that we do and this takes place on a weekly basis and it's called uh, the pulse survey and it's an anonymous survey that's done through Google Forms where everybody from management to staff have the opportunity to report on what their week was like so the survey is sent out every Thursday and so people um, are given until um, Monday in order to fill that out and what happens is they we just ask them a few simple questions you know what their week was like um, what was positive about their week as well and then uh, what can be done better for next week and That's all very important. All those questions are extremely important because first you want to find out, you know, what went wrong the previous week that we can course correct. Also, what went well so that we can build on that. And, uh, And then, you know, that information can also bubble up patterns that can be happening too within the organization uh, and and the, as I was saying the, the positive aspects, the good patterns that might be bubbling up in terms of what is happening with your culture that you can build on uh, for even better success. And then what we do with that information is then every Monday uh, the leadership team gets together and review all of the results and then we action that out in terms of sending out an email from one of the members of the leadership team to every on staff to let them know uh, what we'll be actioning on so that they sort of know boots on the ground. Here are the steps we are taking in the immediate, whether it's in the immediate term, you know, there's sort of quick wins that we can do and things we can change quickly. Immediate term, we're even the medium to long term that are on the horizon for making changes. So that also helps to engender that sense of not only sort of collaboration, cooperation, again, empathy, and having the staff feel more engaged 
page too because the staff feel like they've been heard and it's been actioned on as well. Yeah, that's definitely a big deal. And uh, so you talked a lot about kind of like the organizational strategy behind managing culture. And I'm wondering how much, this is kind of off the question path, but I'm wondering how much it has to do with like the actual people that are hired too. Because one thing I notice every time I, I talk to someone from the FK, they're always talking about how how great the people are that work there and how ambitious they are and just how they're caring people. And I'm wondering what kind of qualities you look for in people that you're hiring. Absolutely. <clears throat> so... You know, going back to our acronym FKA, it stands for Fun, Knowledge, and Ambition. And so we look for people that, of course, have the chops and have the experience and and the talent behind them, but also people that are ambitious but are focused on competing with themselves. Our agency culture is very geared towards, uh, we, we also refer to act, analyze, and adapt. So we're constantly looking at how we can iterate and improve and evolve in terms of the work that we do for clients on a daily basis, but also in terms of ourselves personally as professionals. How can we improve? What can we do to sort of build our knowledge base continually so we stay ahead of the curve, especially uh, in the digital marketing world. Things are rapidly changing and and digital advertising and social media. So we have to stay ahead of that curve um, for our clients. And also above all, you know, as you were mentioning, Josh, uh, my other colleagues referring to people as caring. It's really important to hire people that have a conscience and also to be uh, looking at building those people up within your organization because they're really your backbone. So my last question here for you, Carrie, is that probably in the listeners of this podcast future, I'm, I'm sure many of them will go on to become managers or directors of some sort of company in the business world, whether it's in marketing or some, some other faculty of business. But I'm wondering what lessons would you like to pass on to them about either organizational culture or the future of organizational health? Well, I think first off, you know, as I was touching on earlier in the conversation, um, people are really looking for um, organizations to work for that share common values with them that you know it's it's not just good enough anymore to demonstrate you know quote unquote corporate social responsibility where a company will do off to the side some charitable work or or make donations and then that sort of demonstrates their um their corporate commitment to the communities that they work in um i and i really feel like with the younger generations they're they're looking for not only the companies to walk the talk, uh, you know, going over and above just what they're espousing in terms of their corporate social responsibility, but also uh, working for leaders that share and reflect uh, one's own values as well. And so I'd just like to touch on, I, I read a lot about leadership and of course management because I am myself a leader and a manager uh, of a group of staff in the company that I work for. So that's a prime responsibility of me to learn about how I can become a a better leader every day and also how I can continue to engage my staff in the work that we're doing. And so 
Uh, one fellow that uh, I've read uh, quite a bit, you know, in terms of his work, his name is Dr. George K. Simon, and he's also out of the United States, and he's an organizational psychologist. And, you know, he talks about who are strong leaders, and he lists out a few of those traits. So he talks about, you know, truly strong leaders are those that have the power to influence and also motivate people. Um, They're skilled in being able to organize and unite teams together. They take action themselves. They roll up their sleeves, and they also in turn have the the capacity to mobilize others into action as well and mobilize people to want to follow them as a leader. And they inspire and they galvanize folks. And, you know, I also ended up on that note um, discovering just by happenstance this research uh, done by a fellow named Dr. Fred Keel, and his last name is spelled K-I-E-L, and he runs the KRW Research Institute in the States. And he ended up doing uh, a very long-term study. It was over seven years of uh, more than 100 CEOs as well as their executive teams. And these are folks from Fortune 500 companies, uh, private corporations, and also nonprofits. And he discovered a direct correlation between um, a level of the CEO's character and the financial returns that his company reaped. And so he was able to quantify uh, how a CEO's character actually impacts their company's own bottom line. And he ended up, you know, he discovered that the CEOs that really performed well financially, they ended up reaping uh, five times greater rates of return were those that demonstrated what he calls the keystone character habits. They had integrity, they took responsibility, they owned up to their choices as well as their mistakes. Um, They also had the capacity to um, demonstrate empathy and compassion towards their staff and they also uh, demonstrated an ability to show forgiveness you know they they allowed within their organizations the capacity to make mistakes and most important importantly learn from them and what he found was that uh, these CEOs what he called them uh, virtuoso CEOs he found that they had as I mentioned a nearly five times greater rate of return than what he termed the self-focused CEOs and those guys were at the very bottom so he ended up charting this out and the self-focused CEOs were the the typical folks that demonstrate what's called the dark triad of personality traits the Machiavelli the psychopathy, and the narcissism. And he said, you know, of these many hundreds of companies that he looked at, the ones that were run by the typical psychopath, they tended to fizzle right out. Like they ended up just kind of financially imploding over time. Um, Because again, going back to that word self-focused, the CEOs of those companies were only in it for themselves and what they could uh, take out of the company versus what they could put into it uh, in terms of taking care of the staff and, and having a conscience not only about the staff that worked for them, but the work itself. And so I found that really interesting that this man, this Dr. Keel, was actually able to show a quantifiable empirical correlation between 
you know, being a jerk and <laughs> and uh, not being successful versus right. showing a high degree of ethics and integrity and seeing the financial returns from that. You end up with a well-functioning organization. As, they, as the old adage goes, like, um, you know, you look at... Uh, the, at the very top of the organization in terms of the culture, like the CEO sets the tone. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And it, it <laughs> makes sense too that, you know, even when you're talking about Mad Men and another one, I think that you've mentioned before is like you think of Wolf of Wall Street where it's kind of that the CEO is out for himself and if, if you don't want to join, then you can kind of like get out of the way. But it's it's cool to see that that research actually kind of shows the opposite of what's out there in popular media. Absolutely. And then as a flip side to that as well, you know, I've run across a lot of research uh, just going back to sort of workplace culture and, and what we call kind of healthy workplaces or high functioning workplaces where people are able to work together cooperatively. And, you know, there's um, I ran across a number of research studies uh, conducted by business schools, ironically, where they find, you know, uh, civility in the workplace is really important. Like people want uh, to go to work and feel like they're respected and that uh, they're valued in terms of what they bring to the table and that, um, you, you know, they, they just want to feel treated well as a human being. And so... When you don't have that, when you have a lot of discord uh, amongst teams and within an organization, there can be a lot of fallout from that. You know, these research studies talk about how that can really negatively impact people's, uh, not only their sort of psychological well-being uh, and their ability to handle stress within the workplace, but also physically too. There can be physical uh, health consequences to encountering constant strife within the workplace and and rudeness and nastiness and just overall incivility so that can also impact again you know if an employee is not feeling uh, great when they go to work and they're not feeling respected or valued that can have consequences in terms of how they treat uh, the customers or the clients whether that's you know even in the consulting world and then again that can impact you financially too as an organization awesome well Thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Carrie. Uh, just just before you go, uh, where can students find you, either on LinkedIn or another social profile, if they have any questions regarding communications or or anything to do with your podcast or anything mentioned in the episode? Sure, I'd, I'd be happy to connect <laughs> and chat with anybody that's interested. So uh, to reach me personally, um, you can find me, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm also on Twitter, but uh, on LinkedIn, so I'm I'm there with my full name, so that's Carrie, K-E-R-R-Y, and my last name, B-E-Z-Z-A-N-N-O. Don't forget the two N's in my <laughs> last name. And then again, uh, with my podcast, The Business code podcast it's at uh, www.businesscodetalk.com and also the company i work for uh, as a communications director fk advertising agency fka.agency okay awesome yeah thanks again carrie thanks very much josh 
This episode was produced by myself, Josh Radistitz, and the team at UAMA Productions. If you liked this episode, leave us a rating and share it with your friends. It helps everyone discover the show. Keep an eye out on UAMA's social or subscribe for our upcoming episode. Thank you.